Welcome to episode 252 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. If you want to support Stageworthy, consider dropping some change in the virtual tip jar. You can find a link in the show notes. Your support helps me continue to bring you great conversations in Canadian theatre. And if you like Stageworthy and you listen on Apple Podcasts, I hope that you'll leave a five-star rating and a comment. Your ratings and comments help new people find this show. And also, if you know someone that you think will like the show, tell them about it. Some of my favorite podcasts became my favorites because someone I know told me about them. And remember, you can find and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere you get podcasts. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website with the archive of all 252 episodes at StageworthyPodcast.com. And if you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby, and my website is philrickaby.com. My guest this week is the artistic director of Obsidian Theatre, Mumbi Tanjebua Atu. Mumbi, this has been a, a strange time to um, become the artistic director of, of Obsidian Theater. Um, how has the, it been in this very strange time? <laughs> yeah, it's really it's really quite a time um, because I started July first, and so that had been was in the midst of you know everything, and um, but. Uh, well, the good fortune that I had is that I was I was very much in touch with the staff from when I was hired in January. So between January and June, through the waves of the shifting changes, I was in communication with a with a staff in transition while Philip Aiken was still the artistic director. So it made for a bit of a smoother transition, having had all those ongoing conversations. Um, and also I felt like really lucky to be like to be starting a job in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, how many people can say that they started a job in the middle of a pandemic? So very true. Yeah. So that part, that part was like, it, it broke up the routine of the, of, of, you know, the past, the months preceding that to be like, okay, mm-hmm. now I'm, I'm starting a new job. And it was something to look forward to in the, even though it's like a challenging time, it was still, a change of pace and, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. so yeah, lots, lots I could say about that really <laughs> such a loaded question. <laughs> sure. I mean, there's now you, I think have worked in as a, an intern ish position with obsidian previously as an art, was there an artistic director internship or something similar at some point? Uh, I did a I did a mentor apprentice which right. program which was uh, right while I was still in theater school actually like that was like mm. a more like ten two thousand and eight or something, and that was a program that used to be run by uh, that used to be run by Obsidian and funded by Canadian Heritage, that would pair up um, new uh, upcoming artists with a mentor in the industry, and it would it would focus on non performers. So directors, designers, mm. um, producers, administrators, 
uh, and it would focus on mentors at Obsidian and also in the in the theater industry, in the professional theater industry. So it was an incredible uh, year-long program that that allowed gave you exposure to the professional theater scene. Uh, and unfortunately, that funding was cut by Canadian Heritage a few years back. But mm. but that's how I that was how I kind of got my start in professional theater and got mm. my got my um, my start at Obsidian as well. And um, I mean, back then, did you ever think that you would be the artistic director of Obsidian? What would what did you oh think? How goodness. did you think your career path was going to go? <laughs> I honestly, I mean, I honestly cannot even remember. But I definitely that was definitely not one of the thoughts on my mind. I wasn't like I'm going to run this company. That was definitely not, <laughs> <laughs> definitely nowhere in my imagination. It was like a, I, I mean, I, Philip Aiken was such an incredible mentor to me and. You know, it was very intimidating even when the job was posted to think that I would actually apply for it, you mm. know. So it was like, cause it was, because that's how I started in the industry. So I was mm. like, so no, I did not think of that at the time. It was really, it was just really an opportunity to connect with, um, have a cultural home as an artist mm. and have a, uh, you know, an artistic home that, that that also where I could just be myself as as a mm. black artist, and so that was really important, and, and kind of continue to serve that 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 um, purpose throughout my journey and my career. I went I went on and started my own company, uh, uh, which is called IFT. It's a Freedom Think Theater, and got a lot of support from Obsidian as I was doing that, and mm. so I just went on my own trajectory, and then things have just kind of come full circle yeah. now. Did I mean you? You mentioned like that that you know you saw the job posting and you. What what did you have to tell yourself to apply? Like, were you telling yourself <laughs> you shouldn't? Like, what was that process like to do that? Oh, it was. I mean, it was. You know, it's just because I yeah because I I have I have I feel so strongly about the company. I have so so much love for the company and and for for philip and so i was like thinking of myself going into i mean i knew i knew that i had had you know gained the skills to be able to do it after you know over a decade in the industry um as a director but it was still like just because i had i had such a such a specific relationship with like you know i grew up with that company mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. so i think it was more like uh so that's i think it was more for those reasons i was like yeah could i could i go in there and you know but it's actually also the reason that i did apply in the end was because i felt like i had so much because i knew i felt like i knew the company so well and uh had benefited so much from it i knew mm. the importance of the company and uh in our ecology and uh and the opportunity to give back and to continue to build on the foundation that philip aiken and uh alison silly smith who was the first artistic director and all the founding members had 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 laid so i felt like there was opportunity to continue to to grow Mm -hmm. and and build the company um and 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 a definite need for it. So it was the mandate was something that I felt strongly about. So it was a clear, it was, I didn't have to convince myself of anything in terms of the, the importance of the company or the importance of the position and what I could Mm -hmm. do for black artists in that position. 
Hmm. Now, of course, I'm sure that that plans like the position we are in now is not what you thought we were going to be in when you were first appointed, when you when you got the job. Um, what? What are the, what are your plans for the foreseeable future for Obsidian? How do you how what's happening with the plant with the season ahead? What's happening? What how are you going to deal with the lack of theater that we're seeing in the in the immediate future? Yeah, I mean it's it's really um, it's a very challenging time to plan, obviously, but I definitely feel there's a huge opportunity right now to reach out to artists, black artists across the country. I mean, Obsidian has a national freedom mandate. And so being able to reach out and connect with black artists across the country has been my focus, especially especially at this time following the mm. murder of George Floyd and the riots mm-hmm. and everything. It felt like the need to connect and to let black artists know that they are being seen, mm. um, that they, they're not alone. They're not alone wherever they are in the country has really been what I've spent a lot of my time on the phone just talking mm. to artists across the country, just being like, I don't know your work. Can you send me your work? I actually, I, I didn't, you know, just finding mm. out artists who are outside of my purview in Toronto um, and, and getting to know their work and where they're at in their, in their practice. Uh, so that, that, has been, that has been really great. Um, and, and through that, seeing what opportunities, uh, thinking about what opportunities and connections we can provide uh, um, different artists in different capacities. Um, and it's also like a big development year for Obsidian as well. Um, so so it's, it's, it's really, and, and we have a, a project as well that we are working on that we're still figuring out a new project and figuring out the details of it right now. But it's a mix of, it's a mix of wanting to respond to this moment and wanting to mm-hmm. To respond to this moment, meaning not just the pandemic, but that from the following the murder of George Floyd and the mm-hmm. riots, and um, and also wanting to increase our 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 knowledge of of who's out there uh, across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that that uh, Philip had a standing. Uh, uh, offer for for black artists to come into the office and sit down and and just talk. Anybody, any black artist could come in and and just like his door was open to mm-hmm. them. And it sounds like you're you're continuing that uh, in as, as best you can in a virtual way right now. And yeah, that yeah. that sounds like it's especially now. And and you you want to get to know artists and 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 many of them may know obsidian but they don't necessarily know you and you want Mm -hmm. it's an opportunity for them to be introduced to you and for you to be introduced to them Mm -hmm. um and obsidian has always served and uh, you know black artists in in a way that and and really put them put the put black artists out in the forefront in the way that that unfortunately many other companies have not um Mm -hmm. as far as the relationship of, of Obsidian with other companies, some of the companies that tend to be uh, a lot whiter. How do you, is there a relationship that you see in, in uh, uh, an example that can be set? Are there things that, that, that Obsidian uh, uh, is doing or does uh, to interact with, with, with those companies and to sort of show them how they can be better? 
Um, well, I mean, I think, I think that my energy really has been right now going towards the black artists themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, that's where like a hundred percent of my energy has been going. So I haven't, I haven't, um, in terms of the second part of the question, that's just not where my energy has been at the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that, I think that right now, I, I think I need to continue to put my energy there. Um, with those, with artists and then with communities, with black mm. communities as well, with our audiences and trying to see, trying to see, um, you know, trying to see how to engage them in this moment and, and what's accessible, how to access, uh, especially we, we have a unique opportunity mm. in the moment we're in, in the sense of um, being, maybe we may be able to reach audiences that we haven't been able to reach before because of because of you know the their the the fact that the work is not about coming downtown to Toronto, mm-hmm. it could be you know you can watch it out in you know Regent Park or all the G- greater GTA or all all across the country. So I think that's really more where my brain is at. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that in terms of allyship with other companies that don't have a cultural specific mandate, that's really. Um, that's really, again, as long as it still fits within the mandate of black mm-hmm. putting black artists first, mm-hmm. uh, there's always opportunity for dialogue. But it's it has to it has to still be the lens or through which which I'm looking at any of those other mm-hmm. um, possibilities and conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, normally, if I was talking to somebody who was an incoming artistic director, I would ask them what has surprised them the most about their position. Um, but I mean, we've kind of already covered that in this peculiar, strange time where we're <laughs> where we're not uh, um, do we're not in the office, we're not doing the things that we normally would. Right. Um, are there? I mean, you've mentioned the 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 projects that that you're working on. Um, has are you, do you have in your mind, like when you think a return to this stage might happen or is that, or is it still, you just, you're leaving that to the universe to, to answer that question? Well, I mean, I think in terms of like, there have been surprises for sure. Like two, like I, I was, I was joking about this the other day about how like two weeks into the job, I called Philip and I was like, you never told me about the emails. Like the emails <laughs> I get has been like <laughs> from my personal inbox to the to inheriting Philip's Aiken's inbox has been quite <laughs> a thing. So <laughs> that was totally a surprise. You know, th- we're thinking such bigger picture here in terms of pandemic, return to the theater, you know, <laughs> community <laughs> building, but the emails <laughs> are definitely have been quite a surprise. I mean, I, I'm a think a little, I'm, uh, I've recovered from my initial shock at how full is that inbox. <laughs> can be. But it's, it's truly a, a negotiation that I, on a mm. level that I didn't have to do before as like a freelancer, you know, director or as a director of a smaller indie company. Um, yeah. And especially now there's even more emails because that's the only way we can really, <laughs> I guess, communicate is through sending a ton of emails. So, mm. uh, so that's a surprise. And I mean, <laughs> and I mean, in terms of the return to the, 
the future of theater. I mean, I'm I'm not. I mean, I am kind of in a position right now. Where I'm just like, I mean, truly throwing gases in the air like everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> like at this point, it just feels like, like, uh, uh it feels easier to try and to respond to the moment than to plan mm. for the future right now. Yeah. Um, and so, and and I don't know if that's a distraction. I mean, normally. You know, like I'm, I, I, I feel the future is knocking, and maybe the gates will be wide open. We'll be like, uh, we're not ready. We're not ready. I don't know, but it definitely feels feels like there's just so much unknown that it's, and especially as a non-venued company. Yeah. So it's a bit tricky too. Yeah, I feel like, like you know, you're. I, I'm kind of in the same the same mindset as you, where we don't know what the future holds. We could make plans and then mm -hmm. they will all fall through. Yeah. I'm basically assuming that, that once there's an all clear, it'll be like six months before we get on the stage again, because then yeah. we have to advertise and put the season together, get rights and put yeah. our teams together and things like that. It's, yeah. it's, it's going to take time. It won't be like, you know, opening a restaurant in, in a few days exactly. after getting that go ahead. It takes a lot longer. Yeah, and I, I mean, I know when, when stage three was announced, there was that, those questions were coming up, like, okay, are you, you know, you can now perform for 50 people indoor, are you, are you ready to go, are you ready to go? And it's like, it's a whole process, you know, yeah. for, for theater to just like, to just like be ready to go. So, yeah. I also don't feel like, like, yes, you know, you could fit, you know, whatever theater you're in, fit 50 people, but I I'm not confident that audiences are ready to come back into a room with even mm -hmm. 50 people. Exactly. You know, yeah, I like, think of that moment. In, are you ready to go into a restaurant indoors? I guess that's I, a question. I am not. I am exactly. not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I see people in there and it always gives me a little bit of anxiety. I'm like, how are you able to do that? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I'm thinking also about that moment in a theater when the lights go down and mm -hmm. people start to cough and that meant nothing. <laughs> yeah. yeah like yeah. a year ago and now it's yeah. like a gunshot in the theater exactly it's truly that's a really good i haven't heard it put that way before but like i mean i get re i'm getting really nervous even when i watch television and i see how close people are next to each other on television oh my goodness i know <laughs> and i know those things were shot like six months ago exactly. or more and i'm yeah. still like how are you sitting next to that person like that exactly it feels very everything feels very crowded suddenly on, on tv <laughs> and like the intimates the intimacy scenes i'm like how are you mm. ever going to do an intimate scene ever again so but you know the nba yeah. playoffs are happening i mean too. Mm. so <laughs> i say that not because i know anything about the nba but because my <laughs> my co-workers do and they that's their thing and i was like yeah well, they've managed to somehow you know, make that work. So maybe there's hope. I don't know. I think there, I mean, there's a, a certain amount of, of will that, that makes like, of course, they're also, you know, staying at luxury hotels in mm -hmm. Florida to make all that happen, you know, but right. there's, there's will. And I think we can make things happen. I just don't think that our audience is ready to go there yes. yet. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And who can blame them? Um, no. Yeah. Yeah, especially when you think about you know traditionally in in some theaters the audience that that they see most often are the ones that are most at risk. Mm -hmm. um, that's certainly a, a barrier, and I think generally I I know like I think about myself. Like I said, I'm not ready to go into a restaurant yet. I'll sit on a patio, mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm, so exactly. if we could do something outside in a in a in an amphitheater, maybe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But indoors, not yet. Yeah, and it's a question of whether uh, some speculation is whether our audiences will just get younger, and or we'll just be we'll just be curating work for younger audiences. In the... I think we have to. Mm-hmm. I think that that younger, you know, theaters that rely on their older audience are not necessarily playing a long game yeah you know we hear so much especially in indie theater people are always like hand-wringing where's our audience where's the audience going mm-hmm. and you know it i think we have to look at at at, at who we've been programming for yes. i think a theater yeah. like 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 obsidian has generally a pretty good track record of doing some really interesting stuff that is you know a sort of appeals more to a younger audience and mm-hmm. whereas some other theaters are not although there are some exceptions yeah 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 i think i think you're right like really who we're programming for is going to be an an even more practical question to have mm-hmm. rather than like you know a value question or even an ideal question it's going to mm-hmm. be a really practical conversation moving forward I kind of wonder if there's also an opportunity there where people are, you know, movied out. They are Netflixed yeah. out. They're mm-hmm. they're ready to go out and do something that they haven't done before. And the theater could be that. Yeah. For people who haven't seen plays very often, mm-hmm. the opportunity to see to, for an experience that is not watching a movie. Totally. And the, the, the concern with that for me is about the, the seasons. I mean, I think that, mm. you know, just going into a colder season, mm-hmm. um, you know, fall, fall maybe, but just people when people generally um, want to be more indoors, even yes. more so with with the pandemic, it's just what 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 would that incentive be? Mm-hmm. But but you know, again, if we're talking about fall of twenty twenty one, then it's mm-hmm. you know maybe we'll have audiences in droves. Uh, at that point, everybody would be. Oh, summer of next year, maybe uh, that will people will be dying to be outside. Yeah, uh, we can so definitely hope. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we can't. We can't know. We and that's that's the problem. That's what makes makes it so difficult. In the last few months, I've been talking to people. You know, I'm trying to keep talking to people who are who are theater makers and different actors, playwrights, everything. And it's mm-hmm. always a matter of you know. I think it's important that we keep talking about it, even though. For many of us, it's not something we're able to do right now. Yeah. But that doesn't yeah. mean the work isn't yeah. continuing. That's right. And I, I think that's one of the exciting things that have come out of this moment is the amount of conversations that are happening. Mm. Like there's so much, so much dialogue. There's so mm. much needed dialogue about, you know, systemic changes that need to happen in our industry. Um, there's so much dialogue around, uh, sharing of artistic practice you know there's just a lot of just free available dialogue um and workshops and and, and panels mm-hmm. and i think that i have found that i've found those kinds of conversations and really actually very very theatrical because they're so potent right now mm-hmm. and they're so necessary and they're speaking directly there's no gap between what's happening on the streets and what's happening 
on the stages you would hope in terms of the dialogue in terms of dialogue and you know usually we have you know we take forever to like create a piece that then translates what's you know what's happening in our society to the stage but right now it's like let's just talk about it let's deal with it how does this affect our industry and the the conversations feel a lot more urgent and potent and necessary mm -hmm. and vital and it's almost like how we want our work to be is how the conversations have been alive you know so alive in the last couple of months mm -hmm. and they a lot of them are conversations that that wouldn't be happening because everybody would be in the middle of the production grind right yeah yeah so a pause lets that almost forces companies to be uh forced to contend with um their systemic issues and their systemic racism and and all of the things that they have in the past been able to sweep under the rug because they just don't have time well now they have time yeah yeah it's yeah it's it's really I mean, and talking is talking, so we'll see how it translates. But it's still an it's still an essential part of the process, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think there are a lot of people who are paying attention to those conversations, though. I'm seeing people who are both listening and and also calling out uh, organizations that are putting out uh, milk toast and bland and non-committal Black Lives Matter statements um, and trying to to force them to to say what they are doing and what they are going to do in a way that like people are bolder than they normally would be because ain't nobody got some work to do. Like mm -hmm. nobody, no, you can't audition for anybody right now. So it's just like, just like holding to account. And I think there are a lot of people who are, are going to be watching when things start opening back up to see who lives up to the commitment they made and who doesn't. And they're ready to, to call out and, and do something with those uh, for those who don't. Yes. And, and really the pandemic has shown, I mean, I think that, I mean, I think that the pandemic and, and truly like the events of the last few months and, and, and George Floyd's murder has just made it the, like it really, what, what do you have to lose by speaking up? And mm -hmm. like, what, what do you really have to lose? Because, because like, this is like, this is, you know, you can't, we can't continue like this. And so yeah. there's just an enough is enough, enough is enough, you know? And, and also like our industry has been so precarious and not protecting its artists. Mm. So it's, it's really like, what do you have to lose? You know, like, just like, if you, if you want to work, we don't want to have a healthy industry. We, we have to take care of the people that are in inside of that industry. So, yeah. um, so I think it's it's the tipping point of this moment is just crucial, and it's 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 the people being listened to in this moment. Who people are listening to is definitely important. You know, mm -hmm. um, um, the, the 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 camera has, lens has shifted to to you know to different voices. Mm -hmm. I I'd like to switch gears a little bit because one of the things I'm always fascinated by is what, when somebody makes a choice to pursue the theater, mm -hmm. what is what starts them on that path? What was their first exposure to theater? What made them want to do it? So in essence, Mumbi, what is your theater origin story? Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, theater origin. Well, I, I, I mean, I will say on the, very, on the simplest level, I was, I'm a middle child. And so theater 
arose for me as as like a place of fantasy you know nobody gets me nobody understands me kind of place <laughs> like you know I'm in the middle of uh and so it was kind of from a place of like you know creating alternate worlds uh, as, a, as a really young as a really young girl and um and developed into I never knew that my 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 make-believe life would be <laughs> the thing that I would pursue eventually but I mean I I first I actually first did not study theater I studied biology um at, uh and then but I was always I was always doing theater um out of outside of outside of um uh as an extracurricular it was just really yeah. hard for me to decide whether or not to to pursue theater in university uh, as as a profession, and the the my, during my first degree, so I think so. I was always doing theater, and um, when I was in my second year at U of T studying human biology, I was in a production of The Crucible by Arthur Miller, and I was playing Tituba, mm. and I was and. At that point, I had been auditioning throughout my first two years for extracurricular kind of roles and not finding a lot of opportunities to to get cast. And then I like, tuba came up and it's like, yeah, you're cast. <laughs> Probably, I don't even know how many other black women auditioned <laughs> for that role. But they like, got the gig. I was like, great. And during that process, I was like, really had the opportunity to observe the makings of theater at that point. Point. I mean, Hart was a big deal, and I was a you know a student there. And I was like, so I got to observe a bit of it, and I started thinking about directing. I was you know that directing as a possibility. I was like, maybe I could do that. Maybe that's something I could do, and maybe that's something I could do and provide more opportunities for people who look like me. Hmm. And so I, um, after the production closed, I spent a lot of time in the library reading a ton of plays by. African, African American, African Canadian writers. I read so many plays. I don't know. I don't know how I had time to do this. I don't know how. My and I, I ended up uh, coming across a play for colored girls who have considered suicide. When the Rainbow is Enough by Antoine Shange, and I went and I pitched the play to uh, Paul Templin, who was a manager uh, at Hart House Theater, and I said I want to direct this piece, and he took a chance on me and said yes. And it, he was like, first of all, like you have zero experience. Why should you direct it? And I and and then I convinced him somehow, and he said yes. Hmm. And that was like a, a huge opportunity for me. Um, and once I did that, I was kind of like, let me get this degree done, and you know, and then let me <laughs> let me switch gears. That was kind of in the back of my mind uh, of like the, the the seed of like perhaps maybe I could continue to pursue this you know professionally and so so that's that's kind of what how my journey kind of came and that came towards um towards being interested in directing and towards thinking about it professionally and I finished a U of T spent some time traveling doing other things and then decided to go back to York for theater and then you know then continued on from there hmm. Yeah. Now you mentioned that you were doing theater while you were, you know, studying biology and things like that. But mm -hmm. what 
when did that start for you? What was your first exposure? Did you first see a play or were you in a play first? And how did you start performing? I was to do, uh, I was poetry uh, recitals when I was a kid. So that was like, um, there will be poetry competitions uh, in elementary school. I, I was, mm. I, I, I was born in Kenya mm. and uh, we would have, yeah, we would have poetry like school competitions for that. And, and they'll be very performative. And so I would put those, I would do those. And, and, um, and then after that, I, I, I think I just, I don't remember the first play I saw, but I just kind of in high school as well, just was, a, was part of the, you know, school productions um yeah i don't know if that was the first profession i can't remember the first professional production that i actually saw hmm. yeah hmm. It, whatever it was or whatever got you in there you were it must it had an impact yeah yeah i mean it was definitely not a direct di- <laughs> direct route it wasn't like i mentioned mervish it's also meme. i i was i was always <laughs> seeing i was always seeing i was always making it was in different Mm. Uh, throughout elementary school and throughout, uh, and I would put on productions at my church, at my school. So it was always, always. I can't ima- remember a time when theater was not a part of my life. I guess mm. I was just yeah. a switch to like pursue it professionally. That was I remember that clearly as like a when that moment happened. Mm. It's interesting because there for me, I've I've talked to people who they remember the show that they saw that that made them want to do it and there are other people who they're like i don't know i was always putting on plays mm-hmm. yeah that's me that's <laughs> me I, i'm in that category <laughs> yeah yeah it, I, I i'm sure i saw a lot you know it just was always in my vicinity vicinity um you know so i don't know <laughs> but you uh, you mentioned that moment when you decided that you were going to do it professionally was there ever because some people, you know, they do it as a hobby and they just continue doing it. And other people start to say to themselves, I could do this and make a career doing this. Mm-hmm. Do you remember like the moment when you, when you were, you made the decision that this was going to be your career path? And did you have to break that news to your parents? Yeah, I think that, I think it was after that process that I made that decision in my in my in my heart but I didn't fully articulate I wasn't able to fully articulate it until a few years later when I just I was saying I wanted to go back to school for theater um so yeah I mean the conversations with my parents about me being a theater artist were always ongoing because I was (laughs) I was always when I was when I had come to to Toronto to do study human biology I was I had considered a, a double major at that point and and I remember my first year roommates I was like uh, we're all theater students and I was still was like oh I, maybe so it was it was always a thing that I <laughs> that that I was thinking about all the time hmm. um it was just a question of like it just took a long time to fully articulate exactly that it was going to be directing versus, you know, acting or versus, you know, writing like, to, and, and so, and yeah, I think, um, and of course my parents always encouraged 
that's it's not like I didn't like human biology, but they were like, that sounds good. Yeah, mm-hmm, that sounds great. <laughs> so, <laughs> and now after you know grinding for how many years, I'm like, I totally should have listened to you. <laughs> you know, you were so right, mom and dad. <laughs> what was I thinking? <laughs> and I think there was a stubbornness that has kept me here because you know they gave me so much practical advice, and I was stubbornly curved out this path for myself and i think the stubbornness has kept me here <laughs> like, i you know i think a lot of people who are theater artists they have a stubborn streak you know they <laughs> they see their they see you know other people who are either giving up or they never went into it and they have mm-hmm. you know jobs and 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 some of them have houses and you yeah. at a certain point you're like you get a point and you're like okay i can keep doing this or maybe a house would be nice yeah you know, whatever. totally totally <laughs> and i still i still have that you know i still have that in, in me for sure i think also because having perceived something else first and had a mm. job i had like a job for one solid year out of university where I could afford to fly my friends in to come visit me. And, you know, oh. I had, I had <laughs> that's never happened since I, <laughs> since I made the switch to be a profession, <laughs> but it was like, Oh, you know, that's nice. That, those were, those were nice days, but now I'm in too deep, I guess is the point I'm in too deep. Yeah. I guess on the, on another point, you know, I, I always, I remember in theater school, they were always like, if you can do anything else and be happy, do oh, that. Yeah. You know, and, and I guess for those of, for those who stay in it, it's like you, you look at other things and you're like, could I be an accountant? Could I be a bank? Like all these other things. And you look at it like, would I be happy doing that? Probably. You probably would. (laughs) (laughs) I think at this point I would say, yes, you probably would. (laughs) I mean, we've gone through a pandemic. We are learning digital technology. We are, we are pivoting to new new whatever is we could i mean we can do anything anyone can it can be happy doing anything so i do think that digital does present some very fascinating potential for the future when this is all over Mm -hmm. like here we're all gonna have these skills that we learned um Mm -hmm. uh, in when we had to and but are there opportunities for us in terms of doing live performance but also doing something with a digital streaming option on this as well. Mm-hmm. Is that something that we, that is, uh, allows us to reach a, a, a bigger audience, uh, yeah. uh, an audience, a wider audience that, that couldn't have come to see us before. Totally. And I think that, I mean, the big unanswered question right now with digital platforms, as exciting as they are and as, as, as much as they're keeping everybody engaged, so we're not making any money from no. it. So that is the yeah. <laughs> yeah. So until we solve that problem, I don't know that this can be a future model in any capacity. But um, I I don't I think that that you know there was a almost a mistake at the beginning where where uh, artists were like, well, we have to give it away, obviously, and mm-hmm. now there's an expectation that if the if if there's a theatrical live stream that it's going to be free. Exactly. But I think in the future. If it's like a, you know, live is, is maybe there's like a, a live stream from the theater and you pay this much if you're in the theater, but you could pay a lower amount to watch the stream. Mm-hmm. Yes, we'd love you to come in, but if you can't, you know, mm-hmm. there's this, you know, I think. And, and I agree, though, that, that the, the free model is obviously unsustainable. Yeah, yeah. 
it's 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 it maybe that maybe it's some the kind of model that is going to be that's that will sh that will will find a new model to do it yeah i'm and i'm sure we will i think it's been a big conversation yeah. about about i mean even the next season how how much of a hybrid it will need to be is mm. is, is definitely a, 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 i'm sure something that a, a lot of people are thinking about I mean, I work, my day job is puts me in the events industry and mm -hmm. events, live events, conferences and things like that. Those are, those are digital. Mm -hmm. And for now, and people are actually still talking about hybrid events moving forward for the next right. few years. Wow. See, that's, that's, that makes a lot of sense. That actually, yeah. it makes a ton of sense. And, 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 and it's, it's whether or not it will make live theater even more or live events have been more elitist though. Well, it's know? the, it's, it's sort of the, the idea I think for, for live, for, you know, going to conferences and things like that, that like, yes, you can go and pay this much and you can watch the live stream and pay this much. And, and, and maybe for some people that'll be, they will get what they need out of the live stream. Mm -hmm. And I think for the, you know, there are, people are also thinking not just in terms of how much it costs, but also that, you know, for a while after this is all over, travel will be more expensive. Yes. Staying in hotels will be more expensive. Yes. And so the the hybrid live event is going to be with us for a while. And mm -hmm. that, that, that maybe, who knows, who knows what it means for the theater as well. Yeah. And, and, and what's the incentive to go live if you can watch it at home? That's also what I wonder. I mean, that's always the thing is that, is that and I was talking with, with E.B. Smith a couple of weeks ago mm -hmm. about about live events and how live streaming and, and video is not theater mm -hmm. and we can't pretend that it is, mm -hmm. but can it augment theater? Is there, have we been looking at it in the wrong way? Like what we're doing on zoom or whatever is not theater, but what can we do? There's yeah. so many questions. There's so many questions because, you know, when you think about even cinema, that, that, that mm. how many I mean how often do we go to the movie theaters now to watch have that collective experience of watching a movie it's only with mm. very specific films that you're like I need to go to the theater for that otherwise mm -hmm. you know you can just watch it at home yeah. so I mean it's 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 a question of you know one of the, I was in a, a, a workshop and we're talking about strategic foresighting trying to imagine different futures and it's a question one of the questions that came up was whether spectacle would be more important moving forward you know in terms of mm. live performance i mean it's like you know you're going to the it's like going to the movies to watch you know all the uh you know sci-fi movies or yeah. the, all of the, all of that but you'll stay home to watch the more intimate you know yeah. <laughs> So it's 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 a really really kind of of a scary idea to think yeah. about what that does to the art if sure to to you know like spectacle when you think about like Beyonce concerts and you know <laughs> like you have to put on a Beyonce concert to make people come out to see your show basically yeah so it's I mean or or a lot more a lot more interesting very intimate experiences which are then have to be super exclusive to be a affordable anyways lots of lots of uh, lots of possibilities yeah there are lots of possibilities and lots of questions and and questions. we're not going to be answering those questions anytime soon i'm afraid but they are i think really 
um, they are ongoing questions. Mm-hmm. Mumbi, as we start to, to wind down, one of the, the questions that I've been asking since the, the pandemic started of, of all the people who've come on the podcast is, um, and I think it's an important question, something that, that, that we all need to think about is, 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 what, is what is giving you joy in, mm. in all of this time? So over mm-hmm. the last few months, what's been, what, what thing or things have given you joy? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I get a lot of joys from, uh, uh, from, from my children. I have two, uh, mm. uh, two little kids at home that I've had a lot of, uh, time to spend with that I didn't mm. have before, uh, you know, before mm. this pandemic, like I was in the nonstop, in the nonstop nature of you know working in a theater yeah uh just having time to slow down and spend time with them and 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 my partner has been really just quiet joy like it's been quiet Mm. joy and that so that's been really great um and you know there's like uh you know uh, Beyonce released a visual album, Black is King. That's giving yes. me lots of joy right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of stuff. I'm watching a lot of TV when I can, when I have any downtime that I'm mm. like, oh, this is great. But uh, Black is King, being able to watch Hamilton and mm. stream it from my yeah. room, that was really awesome. <laughs> so, so there's, yeah, there's definitely... Yeah, those things are making me happy. They're happy right now. That's great. I remember. I think for me, uh, like I, I, you know, watching Hamilton uh, on on Disney Plus and what, getting the chance to see that that cast, mm-hmm. as as wonderful as that was, it did make me miss the theater a lot. Uh huh. Uh huh. Well, I thought I couldn't afford to go, and I couldn't even get a ticket to to go to the. To, to it when it was here no, so i felt like i'd no. lucked out yeah by, i think by... <laughs> i think a lot of people did i think a lot of people did yeah so i mean it's kind of now like i would still it doesn't make me feel like i like if i had the opportunity to see it i still mm. would i would still yeah. i wouldn't i wouldn't this doesn't make it makes me want to see it more but yes. i would feel like i was more in the know like you know because before i was it was gonna be something i was never gonna have a chance to see yes. ever yeah. Ever. And I was going to have to live with that for the rest of my life. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but now, now you've been able to see it. So that's yeah, awesome. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I feel really lucky too. Mm. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so lucky. I got to see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mumbi, thank you so much for talking with me today. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me on here. This has been a Homebody Productions production.